Welcome to Leader Fables, a podcast where two lifelong friends and totally obsessed business nerds discuss all things leadership. I'm your co-host, Jacob Evans, and I'm joined by your other co-host, Casey Clark, whose ideal working environment looks, smells, and sounds like a Starbucks. Casey, how are you doing today? I am terrific, and if it looks, smells, and sounds like a Starbucks, it probably is a Starbucks, and so... I think you have hit the nail on the head. I would work every day, all day at Starbucks if that was uh, somewhat appropriate with my job. I'm just going to throw this out there right now. You cannot record Leader Fables from Starbucks. Why not? People would be like, oh, it's too noisy, man. It's too noisy. (laughs) Yeah, just too noisy. And you'd be recording people's conversations. That would be way inappropriate. That's right. So today we're breaking from our normal format. And Casey and I thought it would be fun to interview some really amazing leaders that we've worked with in the past. So we're joined today by one of my favorite people, Mary Jane Isaacs, who goes by MJ. Um, So MJ, welcome to the show. Welcome to Leader Fables. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, Jacob, Casey, it's such a pleasure to be here with you. I'm really looking forward to this. Well, we'll try not to, um, we'll, we'll try to meet your expectations. I'm going to hold you to it. Really are. Yeah, MJ, uh, Mary Jane, she goes by MJ, so I'm probably going to use that interchangeably. Uh, MJ is the Senior Vice President of Engineering at Entrada. Wow. That sounds like an amazing fancy. title. Yeah. Super fancy. Yeah. yeah. I will say, though, in that whole title, the most exciting part of that is the Entrada part. Entrada is a great place. I'm very fortunate to be here, and it is an exciting chapter of this this company's history, very lucky to be there. Maybe I'll touch on a little bit today about why I feel so passionate about it. But Intrada is a great place, and I'm loving, loving the experience I'm having here. Well, I think that's a great segue into my first question for you, MJ. And that is, maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your experience leading teams. Sure. No, it's um, it's something that I actually reflect on. A lot. I don't think my current role and where I've arrived kind of in my career at this point was very intentional, probably not intentional at all. And so therefore, like I don't reflect on it as far as like thinking through I've accomplished everything I set out and plan to do rather like, wow, like maybe a little bit of what just happened to me and how am I? How did I arrive here? So to kind of give a little context to that. Um, you know, if I look over the past couple of decades, yes, place me in your minds at a certain age. But uh, a couple of decades ago, I was going to college. I was doing kind of the normal things at that particular late teen age. And I wasn't loving it. I wasn't loving school. I wasn't loving I didn't know what I wanted to be, where I wanted to go. And I got a job working for a local health insurance company. And I realized through that experience two things. I loved to work, and I loved to work with computers. And I was a claims adjudicator. I had um, fascination for how the systems were working, and I loved it. We, I loved to put my headphones on and just go and get work done. I loved to be productive. And I think because of that passion that I found, I really started seeing my future as, I'm not sure what it is. I just want to work hard, and I want to contribute, and I want to produce, and I want to make something for the team I'm on, for the company I'm working for. It was shortly after that that I was given the opportunity to lead a team. I don't think at the time I really recognized that I was starting to gain experience as a leader. I thought it was just a position and a promotion. 
And that position led me to participating in some really neat projects. Again, projects that really were highly technical in nature. And I was learning and growing and being experienced to things that, quite honestly, for me, would have been things I may not have paid attention to if I'd been exposed to them in an educational setting. But it was hands-on work. And it was I could see what we were building and what we were trying to do. And I was a part of accomplishing it. And over the coming many years, I had experience in touching all different parts of organizations and making systems work, whether they were back-end computer software solutions or more of like systems within processes and teams. That's where I was. Um, it wasn't until probably 10 years or so of doing this type of work that I started to add the identification of a leader on top of that. The position was always just something that enabled me to work with people and make things happen. I started then realizing that actually part of what I'm contributing here is leadership. And over the next many years, I really started to focus on that and think about how do I define myself as a leader. And that's when I started spending more time studying and learning about leadership. And now, as I identify and look at my current position, I lead with leadership. Primarily now I'm a leader, um, and it's taken me, well, probably longer than most, but decades <laughs> to really figure that out. Um, but it's a passion of mine, and it's something that I am very glad to have grown into. Okay, I have like 14 follow-up questions, uh, MJ, for you on that. But the first may be like a little out there, but I think this is the type of thing that when you're in a group of leaders, you like to flush out like the routines and the like tools and tips and things like that. So you said you like to put your headphones on and uh, get it. So I know for me, I have different music that I listen to. If I'm doing like spreadsheet data work, I like like rap music. Uh, if I'm doing something creative, I like a beach vibe, like a Jack Johnson. What's in your leader playlist? Like what are you listening to when you're when you're working on that? Yeah, and it's a it's a very good question. It's probably the most important question of the day. Yes, music, right? Right. Uh, it is. It's the Bleacher music. So if you don't know Jack Antonoff and his phenomenal like contributions in producing music, um, check it out. He is incredible. He was in a band called Still Train and Fun, but the band currently is Bleachers, and they are fantastic. And I will listen to them all the time. Um, and I love that you talked about different scenarios for different music. For me, Bleachers is number one right now and have been for many years, and I anticipate that staying in current position for a while. Um, audiobooks, they are, they are fantastic, and I know everyone's listening to Super Pumped right now. Yeah, so am I, but um, I love to listen to those when I'm busy doing like more mindless work, put some cleaning gloves on me, put on an audiobook, and I'll go for hours. But work and really like spreadsheet, whether it's spreadsheet organization sending communications it's gonna be a little bit more of the bleachers for sure okay we're gonna link that in the show notes uh for sure if you want to check this out i do want to ask one more question about what you're saying is that transition from being an individual contributor to leader sounds like it wasn't an ambition for you to start it just kind of happened like did you ever get freaked out by that transition? Did you ever have a moment of like, wait, did that just happen? And like, how did you work yourself through that, if so? Yeah, Casey, no, that, that's fantastic. I would describe that moment more of like reluctance. Mm. And, and in fact, I fought against it 
for a long time. And Jacob, I'll use kind of an experience from when you and I were working together. I, when I joined Jacob at the company we were working together at, I had actually gone through a lot of leadership and a lot of different roles, and I was tired, and I was looking for that headphone experience again. I wanted to put my headphones on. I wanted to get back to work. I wanted a job. I didn't, uh, I'd had some really phenomenal experiences in growing and being part of a startup. And I thought, well, that's kind of a once in a lifetime experience. I've had it. I'm fortunate. I want to get those headphones back on and just do my thing and be a contributor. And it was, you know, in a company that was growing rapidly and had a lot of need for people to wear a lot of hats. And it was a few times where I was asked to just say, hey, is it time? Can you, would you be interested in doing this? And my first couple rounds was, no, I'm, I'm kind of avoiding people leadership. I'm wanting to put my head down and just be a contributor. Uh, Jacob used the four-letter word with me, help. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard other ones, too. Jacob uses other four-letter words with me. <laughs> yeah, so but I'm trying to go, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. But help, that was kind of, that's where I had a little bit of a soft spot, I guess, is it was like, we need, I need your help with these teams and so I jumped back into it. And that was probably a really pivotal moment where I started to learn that um, maybe something about my unique, my, my own leadership style is that there's an element of reluctance. Um, leadership is a serious responsibility. It's pivotal for the experience of those that you're working with. And I think I was trying to avoid that responsibility a little bit, even subconsciously. And even, you know, my current role today, it's a very weighty part of what I do. And I, um, you know, there's the, the, the kind of the, in, the core want to just be able to focus on a single project and deliver and produce tangible work. But where I've grown and realized is that if I want to make an impact on an organization and I want to have as much, add as much value as possible, I'm well suited to do it from my experience and my learning by helping others make as much of a contribution as they can and helping them show, help show them or learn with them how we together can add as much value as possible. And as, I, as soon as I embraced it and just thought, stop being reluctant, embrace it, you can still, you can still enjoy all the other parts of the job, but... I need to focus and invest my energies into becoming the best leader as possible. Things really changed for me. Maybe, maybe it changed the kind of path of my career, but it changed more so how much I enjoyed work, how the strength of the teams that I worked on, I was all in. And the benefits of that have produced some really cool teams, and together we've built some impressive software. So I have just two points I want to make. One is there's a pro tip in there that MJ just talked about, and that is if you have, if you're fortunate enough to have some reluctant leaders in your group, you might just want to ask for help and they might just say yes um, <laughs> instead of like saying, well, we need you to do blah, 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 blah. Instead say, hey, will you help me do blah, blah, blah. They might say yes. I've had people say no too. That that also happens, but I, they might I say I think yes. in my career, some of the best leaders I've ever worked with were reluctant leaders um, that were you know, engaged by the vision and the mission of, of what we're trying to accomplish and that idea of spreading the influence. Uh, I, I went through a similar thing. I remember when I was working with students, 
I could support 100 students as an individual contributor when I was a manager. Now I had 15 people all with 100 students. So now that's 1,500 students. When I was a senior manager, now it's 20,000 students. And now as a director, it's 40,000 students, right? Like it really does spread that impact. So I think that's a great point. One other thing I just want to mention, uh, MJ is so passionate about headphones and providing a environment where developers particularly can focus. She she determined one day that headphones were not enough, and she bought little programmable lights for every single person on the dev team so that they could indicate using a color code, Casey, their um, uh, – their, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Their availability for <laughs> – <laughs> for interruption, right? Is that why? Is that why when I call you, like the lights in your office turn red, like because you don't want to talk to me? You're like try, and I did. I just never do the subcontext there. That that's awesome, though. I think that's a great tip. Well, so it sounds a little nuts, but to kind of go back to what the core achievement there was, um, and I, I, I think this is probably true for most people. But if we can come and spend our time at work and accomplish as much as possible, our satisfaction levels and our motivation to do it again remains high. The risk in disruptions is obvious in the sense that it is um, it can be devastating to a project, it can slow down the velocity of a group, but I think for individuals, not being able to close the day and say, I can clearly state what I've accomplished we don't always get that luxury, but if we don't ever get to that point where we're, we know we're contributing and we can recognize the value we're adding, it starts to, I think, take away from our motivation, our engagement, and our ability to perform at our highest levels. So while it does sound a little nuts, and the lights honestly weren't a fantastic idea, they didn't last very long. <laughs> At one point we were moving offices and I had this drawer full of ridiculous lights, but the spirit of what we were trying to achieve, I think, was... Um, you know, providing an environment where people can do their very best work and that they feel supported in it. It's not up to them to figure out how to create the environment around them, but there are others around them investing and wanting to provide that for them. That's great. Uh, so before I ask you my next question, MJ, I just got to say, because you, you mentioned it, when we uh, were moving offices, uh, I remember saying, MJ, this is going to be great. You're going to be able to have your own office and you can like shut the door and shut the world out. And uh, she's like, oh, yeah, that sounds nice. And I was really impressed. Like a few weeks in, uh, I like walked by. I'm like, she's not in her office. Where did she go? And I saw her just out sitting with her team. And I thought that was just a wonderful demonstration of not only your leadership, but also your ability to kind of be a servant leader and to kind of be in the thick of it with the folks that you were leading. And I, I'll admit, I was probably too insecure at the time to give up my office and do the same thing. But I, uh, yeah, I, that sort of demonstration will always stick with me. Um, that was, I thought that was just an amazing, um, yeah, demonstration of servant leadership. What is, MJ, what is your favorite aspect of leading teams? Like if you pick one uh, thing, like what's your very favorite thing? Yeah, absolutely. I, I probably have touched it on touched on it already, and I'll tie it back to that example that you've given too, because there's another element to what you were witnessing that probably wasn't apparent or maybe even assumed. But a lot of what I was doing was sitting with the teams and staying close with the groups I work with was a lot of my insecurities. Now, I'm not a computer science. I don't have a computer science background. I'm not a te technician by your traditional 
um, you know, maybe practice and education and working in engineering groups, I, I felt very much in order to be successful, I needed that extra exposure. I needed to be sitting with the team and witnessing firsthand what was taking place because I didn't have a common experience to make assumptions or to build off of. And so much of what you saw was also benefiting me and fulfilling some insecurities that I had. But it helped me in um, more ways than I could probably express. And I do believe that there's something very special about leaders who are not um, inaccessible, but being very accessible and being very personable. So going back to what my favorite part of leadership and working with teams, it comes down to that. It comes down to finding ways where we can all come together and bring our genuine selves, really truly be who we are, and work in a group where no matter how diverse of opinions and inputs we have together, we don't spend our energy and our time positioning the next statement, worrying about how I'm about to say something, how it's going to be received, whether I'm right or wrong, building an environment where we can just accept whatever the discussion is and whatever the conversation is, if we hear tension or friction, we keep that conversation going. We come back to it. We revisit it. Everyone feels that they are equally valuable to the progression of the group. Everyone feels heard and seen and listened to and respected. And I think if in those environments, everyone starts to see how they're adding value and they start to benefit from the contributions of the whole team and momentum and velocity picks up. And I think we generally start to open our minds to learning. And as individuals, we start to get experience that never comes for free. This type of experience is unique, and it is hard work to get yeah. to that point. And we definitely, together, it's not something one person can go out and achieve. So as a leader, to be able to foster and create environments for people to have those experiences is by far my favorite. And I think you know, to stick to the old, like, as measured by, like, you've reached that as measured by what? How do you know? You see it over time with every individual who takes on the next challenge, the next task, contributes in the next way, and you see that evolution, not just by my judgment, but by the judgment of the whole, by the, by the assessment of the whole group. And as when you're talking about a team and you're talking about that happening as a group, it's hard to miss because that team starts to just become highly trusted and they become confident in themselves. And what used to seem like really hard problems to solve become second nature. And yeah. that's when it's like almost like if you can imagine like the humming noise of bees, there's like this humming that just hits. It's not disruptive and it's not unpredictable. It's just this hum of a team that's functioning and it's healthy and I go to those teams and almost like instead of saying, here's the next problem I need us to solve, it's more like, hey, tell me what problem you're working on now, because they've far surpassed anyone's ability to direct them. Yeah, I think you really hit on some next level stuff there. And one thing that stood out for me is the idea of designing work for people, designing the environments, how they work. And I think for many new leaders they don't realize that's their job as a leader. And so they get so in the minutia, the deliverables, the, you know, I, what's the evidence of, you know, this is working that they forget to do the initial work of being a leader and, and moving that. So I think that's terrific.
you know, I think on podcasts like this, when I hear interviews, it's always like, everything was perfect. Did everything like we knocked it out of the park every time. And I know that that's just not reality and how we work. So I would love to flip the script here and say, well, tell me about a time where your leadership didn't work or it was tested and how you grew and how you learned uh, through that. Yeah. Um, it's those, those are, those are tough times because, and you know, cause I stick with you in case you with that question for you and finished. I was like, yeah, yeah, there is this time. <laughs> I already know what I'm going to tell you. I don't even have to think about it. But, uh, you know, to kind of go back on my previous, you know, I, I felt like I'd gotten to a point in my career where I had, I had dozens of engineers reporting directly to, I was, I was managing a large organization with very little overhead. It was a relatively flat organization. Teams were humming, as described before. Um, the process was working, and we had some shifts in leadership of, and my, the person that I was directly reporting changed, and uh, I was Sorry excited. about that, MJ. Yeah, you, yeah, you know the story. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the environment, the, the uh, leadership shifted underneath me, and what I had built and what I felt like there was a lot of appreciation for came under really heavy scrutiny. And I think for anyone in that case, there's a level of, like, you don't understand. Like, let me defend. Let me describe what we're doing here. The desire to want to learn and grow and look at things through new lenses and look for opportunities to stretch myself and to consider doing things differently, but then also battle insecurities of, well, maybe what I've done only worked here, this one place, this one season. Maybe what I've done here wouldn't replicate anywhere else, and maybe I've been a little foolish in thinking that this is as great as it was. And... Um, those, yeah, you know, I've said so many times that you know some of the hardest experience is the best experience. You know, it's and it really is. Um, I think often we go back to, you know, when we think about things that have helped us grow. Usually, those aren't the cozy, happy moments in life, but the ones that are really tough. This particular time in my career, and specifically as a leader, was really tough for me. I was working with leadership styles that were different than my own, but also ones that I wasn't as enthusiastic about. And the reality of the leadership was I had my own personal feelings and trying to figure out how this was impacting me. But I was responsible for a large group of individuals and teams, and I needed to figure this out because much of how I conducted myself and the choices I made going forward were far more impactful than they would have been for me as an individual. And that was incredibly valuable experience. I think as I reflect back on that time, so much of what I do now as a leader was concreted during that time. Is mm. that a word? Yeah. Concreted. Yeah. yeah. I, I, well, it is well, now. Like it really, I was like, do I believe in this leadership principle or am I going to shift and change to become and acclimate to the current environment? Mm. Oh, wow. Okay. There's like 40 things to unpack right there. Uh, what, so I have two follow-ups that I, I want to unpack. One is uh, the back to the reluctant leader part. Were you eyeing the headphones when you were going through that? Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, yep. My day had come and I was like, you know, it was a good time. It was a great time. This is not worth it. <laughs> this is not yeah. worth the pain. Well, it, it, this season of Leader Fables, we've really been focusing on middle management and the opportunities and the challenges uh, of being a middle manager. And what you were talking about 
where uh, you have a layer of leadership that you're reporting to that's applying pressure, um, there's this angst in because they've given feedback, I have to accept that feedback. And I think the next layer, at least for me and my leadership, has been like, I appreciate that feedback. I appreciate the input. And frankly, I feel the pressure when it when it's coming to me. But at the end of the day, I am the leader of my team and I'm going to respond in the way that I know is appropriate, you know, and so I think sometimes people take feedback for direction, right? And those are not the same thing all the time. So how did, how did you deal with those emotions? Um, who, who were you able to talk to and process this with, or was it kind of an isolation? Yeah, good question. So dealing with the emotions, there were some moments I'm really proud of. There are some moments where I'm not as proud. Um, like I still remember like crying to this new leader, like just losing it and breaking down in tears in a conference room and showing that vulnerability of how hard it was for me and immediately feeling angry and frustrated with myself for showing that vulnerability to someone who I hadn't built a lot of trust with yeah. at that point. Um, so when we talk about the emotional, it was, it takes, it is very, very difficult um, and I think work can sometimes push us to that point when things become personal. And there were was feedback given to me that felt incredibly personal. Um, you know, I think part of my leadership style and really focusing on people and wanting their success so badly, um, maybe, you know, I think it was described and then um, passed on to others that I had a parental style of leadership. And while I thought that's kind of a nice thing to say because if, you know, I care about my people, but I felt so marginalized and I felt so diminished by those comments. And it was hard because almost everything that was changing was almost unraveling everything that I believed about myself and believed about my leadership. And so it, it took me to some low points for sure. It was showing up day after day, knowing that there was confidence in what we were doing and confidence in the abilities of the teams. And as a leader, sometimes I feel the immense pressure. And this, this is not something I've mastered. So every time I remind myself of this, it's like lightning strike again. Like, wow. Like, mm -hmm. I think, well, actually, I, I knew this before. But I find myself in situations where I've got tough problems to solve. And this was a time where I had some really tough problems to solve on a multiple um, planes of the field like it was just I had lots of problems and I learned to take those problems to teams now you can't take those types of problems to teams and complain and share all of the turmoil that you feel but you can translate those problems into actionable things that teams can actually solve so where new leadership is coming in and maybe they are assessing the current teams assessing the current processes and they're showing and they're finding what they believe are deficiencies, that's a problem. And together as teams, we can look at saying, instead of just debating and arguing whether those are deficiencies or not, let's show how they are not deficiencies or maybe provide more context to balance out that assessment or let's make some improvements, let's make some adjustments. Maybe there is something in here where we can improve instead of digging in our heels and saying, no, it works. Trust us, it works. Believe us. Say, okay, well, let's try that. Let's be humble. Let's not be afraid of the change. And let's continue to have like kind of an experimental mentality 
towards this new experience we're going through. And it wasn't always easy, but it is a lot easier to formulate a plan and create tangible work out of these scenarios and do it with a team than it is to just take that whole burden upon yourself. And I think a lot of times leaders feel that innate need to solve problems, to have answers, to be the one that says, why don't we do this or try this? And I think we are able to help with that, but we should always bring it to a group where everyone is equally saying, well, what about this? We should try this. And as soon as you bring that team around a problem that you're dealing with, oh, it feels so good <laughs> to know that you're not alone and that you've got incredible people that you have very healthy and trust, high trust working relationships with that are going to take it to the next level. I will add that one of the most poignant and valuable pieces of feedback or advice I've ever received was during this season um, from the CEO at the time. And I was talking about efforts I was putting in to counter feedback that I received or actions I was taking to um, improve the feedback. And the CEO said, Mary Jane, you realize that feedback is just feedback. Mm -hmm. You can choose what feedback you want to listen to and take action on, and you can choose what feedback you're not going to worry about. And I think at that moment, I was so desperate to be successful mm -hmm. in this new leader's eye that I felt like every piece of feedback I had to take action on, I had to resolve, I had to do better in. And as soon as I could say, you know what, half of this stuff I don't care about or I don't, <laughs> agree, I don't agree with, I was able to put my energy into things that I actually made me a better leader. And right. in my time in investing in those areas were worthwhile. And that just unleashed, like it just unburdened me from so much emotional baggage. Mm -hmm. And I was starting to be very particular. Thank you for the feedback. And then I would choose what I decided. I was still in control of what I chose to do with that feedback. And the interesting part about being a middle manager is you get both sides of that, right? Like you get the feedback, but then you also have to give the feedback. So there's something in that approach that also takes the pressure off of you a little bit to know, like, if I've given feedback that's not right, it's not the end of the world, right? Because it's still incumbent yeah. upon the person receiving the feedback to unpack it and to process it and to test, like you said, become a scientist with it. Uh, that That's such a good example. And I think I know, you know, new leadership coming in could be a whole episode. And I'm assuming Jacob was this leader who, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> came no. in, but I really like your, your tips there and the vulnerability you share in like, you know, this, this is hard. And I, I was talking to uh, someone about this the other day and I'm like, sometimes a new leader comes in, they're also trying to establish their value and they're insecure, right? And and I gave it the analogy of like, sometimes they got to punch themselves out a little bit and get to the point where they understand the dynamics and the, you know, these decisions weren't made without thoughtful consideration, right? But sometimes it takes an insecure, you know, leader, which it's easy to be insecure as a leader to come in and 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 just trying to help and it's not helpful. But anyway, I, I really loved how you un unpacked that for us. So MJ, I'm curious, during this kind of season where your leadership was being tried and kind of tested, how did you approach like one-on-ones with people on your team? How did you avoid the tendency, and I have this tendency, 
to have a one-on-one that's not really a one-on-one. It's really more of just a uh, pity party or a like complainathon, uh, a complainathon, or you know whatever <laughs> you want to call it. Right? Uh, how did you? How did you uh, take during, like I said, this difficult time? Uh, how did you approach your one-on-ones and and successfully kind of coach people uh, through it? Yeah, and it's it's actually a fantastic question because I think during these one-on-one discussions and, you know, whether like formal one-on-ones or just the ad hoc discussions that were needed, because it wasn't just hard for me. Anytime a team, anytime a team goes through a significant change, it's disruptive and it is hard. And I, I owe so much to these discussions and time spent with team members talking about the current situation, the current environment. Um, It's really where I was learning how to message through it, but those messages I was starting to tell myself too. And so to give a little bit more tangible examples, when there was a lot of high emotion and concern for what was happening in the organization and to sit down with team members and coach through, um, I couldn't give false hope. I couldn't say, hey, you know what? Nothing's going to change or it's all going to be okay. Like it's going to play out exactly how we hope it plays out. We no, you just, you can't say that. But what I could say is, well, and I, I, this is one of my favorite ways to approach it. And I do it all the time still in my mind is let's say it's five years from now in the, into the future and you're at a job interview and someone is going to ask you, tell me about a time where work got really difficult (laughs) and you get to tell this story. And the, the, point is, how do you want that story to end? Do you want it to end in a very exciting rage quit? <laughs> I mean, that That's fun to think about for a couple of minutes, right? right? Like, a couple minutes, yeah, right? Yeah. Or in this interview for this new job that you're very excited about and you've hoped for for a while, do you want to be able to end that story with, and I was able to improve my communication skills. I was able to share my ways, my, my emotions and my thoughts in constructive ways. I was able to make sure that my actions didn't do the same thing that I felt was uh, diminishing me. I, I use that moment to realize what double down on what I believe good leadership looks like and what poor leadership looks like. And it was through those discussions of, again, sometimes the hardest experience is the best experience. And maybe we're getting that opportunity right now. So how do we want this story to end? And how do we want to reflect on it in the future? Put us back in the control seat. And we had lots and lots of those types of discussions where in the moment, you know, in the red hot anger rage <laughs> that sometimes we feel about perceived injustice or even worse, you know, bad technical decisions that could lead to future customer impact or additional tech debt in the future, how do we decide the ending of that story before it's even happened. So in the future, we can lean on that experience and build upon it instead of having us having that experience set us back or Mm -hmm. putting us back to somewhere where we have to start over or learn again. So I think that type of mentality too, at the end of it all, it was more important for us as individuals to maintain our mental health, to maintain our working relationships to keep our customer at the forefront of our minds and to make as best decisions as we could um, and not let 
the other things that weren't as impactful to those areas be the driving force to our decision making. And um, that was one thing I think worked out well. And if it helped others that I was working with at the time, great. But it definitely was a narrative that I internalized and even still use when I'm faced with a challenge to think, oh, this project, how is this project going to end? How am I going to, you know, look at the end of it? Is it going to be successful or not? And I think, well, how do I want it to end? How do I want this story? What, what story do I want to tell? And that often just gives me the like, okay, like I want this to be a story of success. I want this to be a story where I feel good about how I conducted myself. I don't want regrets. And if I can do those little check-ins, it often has helped me anyway to make good decisions about how I conduct myself and what I choose to do next. It, it totally takes the venom. I love this prompt. I, I was writing it down as you were talking. I'm going to totally use this, but takes the venom out first. And then second, it focuses them back on their response and what they learned and how they contributed. I, I think that's so good. And probably to ask it to yourself as such a pro tip, but to even go the next level and ask your team. So let me flip this then and say, well, what are your favorite questions or question you on your one-on-one -on -one when you're talking to your boss? So it sounds like you're good at helping, uh, you know, adjust the mindset. What do you do though, when you're talking to your boss? Yeah. I, I believe, um, so my, my one-on-ones right now are, they're incredible because they're highly structured. They are very focused on deliverables and results. In my role, though, that is to be expected. Um, I don't expect for every single one of my team members to have as much structure and to be as focused on um, updates towards outcomes as my current role is. But I've taken what I've really enjoyed about this structure and found ways to apply that into a one-on-ones with my team, meaning that we follow a similar format, um, but fundamentally it's helpful because as a leader, I need to make sure I always have a pulse on what the team members are working on. That sounds really like, well, yeah, you should. That's hard. Yeah. <laughs> Things are moving quickly, especially as the organization gets larger and larger. But if I can make sure I have a system and a method for making sure that work that is most important is always top of mind, and that is the conversations that we are having is status around those items, then I the one-on-one -on -one is going to be productive. It's easy to jump into conversations and just talk about whatever is needed, and sometimes that is the case. Those days and those one-on-ones are needed. But if we, I can use that time to be um, connecting with someone and saying, I understand what you're working on. I understand the status of it. I am equipped with enough details to advocate for what you need to represent you in a way that is accurate. I think those are really um, pivotal moments to build strong relationships versus having conversations repeatedly in a pattern of, I'm not really sure what you're working on, but how you doing, right? So, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's important as leaders that we signal to our teammates that we are aware of what they're working on. And if that's unclear, use that time to set goals. Use that time to establish and ask those questions. What do you find most important in your role right now? Where are you blocked? Where are things that I can help with? What are things I can help with? One of my favorite questions, though, too, is what's not going well? Or what is keeping you up at night? Or if there's one thing that, one problem you wish could go away, what would it be? Mm. Because I think often, even no matter what kind of relationship you have with your, your boss, you want to impress 
you want to show your worth, you want to continue to show that they can trust you with the next assignment or the next um, challenge that comes your way. And so sometimes we just want to show the things that are working well. Uh, you know, there's always the green, yellow, red approach to status. Casey and loves those. I'm just I do love those. Throw that out I, there. I shared those on a podcast. Yeah. Uh, do you, wait, I, I don't know if you were going to say that's a bad way to do it. I don't know. You might. Yeah. We'll see where this goes for you. But <laughs> uh, there's when something's green, there's no conversations to have around a green status. You know, if we look at a project list and everything is green and we spend as much time talking about green as we do with red and yellow, that's a problem. So I like to find the things. I like to acknowledge the green and celebrate the green. But let's spend our time on the yellow and the red. So if in a one-on-one or any other type of um, interaction where we're focusing on our outcomes and our outputs and the projects we're working on, if there's a way to bring attention to what's yellow and what is red and invest the conversation and the time there to get things back to green, I think that is a time well spent. It benefits everybody. And again, circling all the way back to the beginning, a one-on-one is a credible time to really put into play how much you believe in helping others be successful. And I'm not perfect at this. It's hard. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of emotional um, energy to sit and, and have these conversations and hear, work through concerns and opinions and work together that it is a pivotal moment for a team member to leave feeling like they are supported. Nothing feels better than your boss telling you they've got your back right. and, and believing that they do because they know what you're working on. They are giving you great feedback and you are empowered to go out and continue doing what you've been doing. And if you can leave a one-on-one feeling like, yes, like I've got the support I need and I had an honest, open conversation. I'm hiding nothing. I'm going to get back to work, right? I don't have to say it was green, but it was really yellow. <laughs> it was honest. It was open. I feel supported. Um, I think those are, I think those are successful one-on-ones. And having them on a cadence again, not perfect at this. So hard. Sounds so simple. Really, really hard. Um, but I think it's important. I think it's important for people to be able to expect. Um, a one-on-one and to expect that it happens on a regular basis. Okay. Last question, MJ. Last question. Yeah. What is your most favorite way to celebrate your team's success? And I got to say, MJ is like (laughs) one of the very best people I know, one of the very best leaders at celebrating successes. And I'm excited Uh, about this because she's done some great parties. Even just the light thing you were talking about earlier. Right. Okay. There's going to be some cool stuff here. I'm excited. Um, gosh, like, okay, well, there's no way to make this sound normal. Like, (laughs) that's the best start of a sentence. I love it. Um, I like, I like celebrations that are just weird, like kind of wild. I, I think I like to break rules. I like the unexpected. I don't like the conformity. Like, I like to say when people are like, what is happening? And maybe even their first reaction is like, this is ridiculous. But within a few moments, they are laughing and thinking, I'll remember this moment forever. And, you know, anything um, from confetti cannons to, you know, masks to, I mean, you can turn anything into a celebration. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. But, you know, 
just the unexpected. We've had mermaid costumes and lays and <laughs> things that honestly, well, hold on, maybe I should come with a disclaimer. Some of these things can only be pulled off on highly cohesive, highly performant teams. <laughs> if if the cohesion isn't there, this is going not this is not going to go well at all. You mean people gotta like each other, right? People have to like right. well at least respect each or other. Respect. Yeah. And know that maybe even if they choose not to participate in whatever antic is happening during the celebration, they are still wholly accepted into the team. That anything just to get people to feel a little bit um, to let go a little bit, to just feel a little silly, a little bit ridiculous. I think now that the the environment, the work environment, and mine in particular isn't only just remote, but it's global, has pushed me to really try to find ways to do that still. Um, I'm still looking for ideas, but I think that if you can create those moments with teams, especially around celebrations, where it's really something to be remembered, meaning not every celebration can be the same because then they're going to blend together. You've got to make each one unique in its own way. Then I think the goal isn't just that you always remember them, but the goal is at the moment to be like, yeah, this feels like we're taking time to celebrate. This doesn't feel like it was a quick like, oh, hey, everybody, thanks a lot. Well done, round of applause. It's like it took a, we really took a moment. We took the time. We did a celebration. So... I'm always looking for weird things. I've even at times decided, yes, this is worth being arrested for. <laughs> oh, um, different seasons in life. I still, the one I haven't pulled off yet, but there is an individual I work with right now who is more deserving than ever of his own personal parade, you know, float around the building, some music, maybe a marching band. Oh, I don't know. Scottish bagpipes seem a little bit more applicable. <laughs> I don't know. But those types of things, I think um, just creating something that is so unique and abnormal that it is a really a celebration. There's nothing vanilla about it. Well, I've done I, a I, lot of vanilla celebrations, but if they can be a different flavor, um, I think it's fun. I, I'm just like so intrigued. I want to hear about the mermaid thing. Like, could you, could you share that experience? Is that too like, uh, yeah, no, it's, I think maybe part of the magic of doing unusual things is that you really just have to start somewhere. And then these things usually take a life on of their own. So, you know, someone shows up to work with a mermaid tell, you know, <laughs> of course someone's going to try it on. And if you get that far, like, well done, that's fun. You know, team of software engineers and one of them is wearing a mermaid tell. But if you can get said mermaid onto a conference table, even better. <laughs> if you can get them to, like, raise their head like, you know, the little mermaid, great. But if you just so happen to have a cup of water to splash it at that moment where the mermaid is coming out of the water, and oh, if gosh. someone catches it on video, then I think your celebration has been a true success. That's oh, amazing. my gosh. This is where you need to plug, like, uh, if you follow me on Twitter or if you, like, <laughs> message me on LinkedIn, I'll show you a picture of this or something because that This is... is actually the point in time where I said, if anyone knows, if anyone's listening to this and you know who you are, like, do not share those videos. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You, you got to set that safety, yeah, right? We're like... <laughs> curious now, but let's remember the unspoken agreement that these videos and these moments were for the team. Yeah. What happens in Mermaid Land stays in Mermaid Land, and that is correct. Yes, yeah. I think that's true. I've never I've heard that said so many times, and I think it's been true every time. <laughs> <laughs> wow, 
Wow. That's, I, I think what I was catching is like, it should surprise, it should be full of joy and whimsy, right? And not just yeah. like there's cake in the conference room, which cake's yeah. awesome, but it's not, you're not going to get the same bang for yeah. your buck. And maybe again, as measured by team members leave work and they tell that yeah. experience, it's meaningful enough that it's shared with others. I think mm-hmm. when we share things like that, or we share anything that happens to us at work, the good things, those are usually things that mean the most to us. And guarantee you like i mean i can't guarantee because i don't know if i'd be able to go home and be like hey kids today i was in a mermaid costume on a conference room table <laughs> some things maybe you keep to yourselves but i definitely was telling the family about you know the team member who had so much fun with it and what a great time we had together and then you know at some point we talk about and it's because we just finished this great thing or we were celebrating this and um, yeah it's fun to work together it's fun to celebrate together well, MJ, thank you so much for joining us today. I think this has been a really uh, wonderful discussion. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and your uh, some really great tips uh, in this, uh, you know, in this episode. So, thank you so much for for joining us today. You're welcome, and thank you for the opportunity. Even today, in this moment, is a great way to continue to grow and learn. First podcast. I've chosen a better one to be with. So thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. Um, We do have a a feedback episode coming up. So if you do have feedback, please email us at feedback at leaderfables.com. Casey and I are really excited to be answering some questions, taking some time to answer some questions um, in an upcoming episode. Um, And until next time, lead on. Lead on. Lead on.